This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, where we don't set interest rates, but we do hate countries that currency manipulate. Uh, we break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. <laughs> you, you, uh, you get through those intros. <laughs> That one wasn't executed too well, but I think in light of uh, today's topic, it, it's a pretty good one. It, we don't set interest rates, but we do hate countries that currency manipulate. Bit of a tongue twister there, but Ren frames our conversation today quite well. It does. It does. It's almost like you held it back for this particular episode. You could say I did. Or, or did fact, you? That's exactly what I did. <laughs> did we set the topic for this episode based on your intro? Hold on, that's not a good way. That's not a bad way to generate content <laughs> ideas. <laughs> so if anyone hasn't picked it up by now, today's episode is all about exchange rates, Ren, and what they mean in a broader context, I guess, but also more specifically, what do they mean for an investor and, and some of the things that uh, we need to be to be careful of. Because as uh, the intro alluded to, Ren, a country, and I won't spoil the fun right now but has just been labeled a currency manipulator so that's something we'll we'll jump into it's angola and the world is up in arms about what they're doing <laughs> <laughs> so today ren we'll, we'll talk a bit about exchange rates uh, more so why it's relevant right now uh, we'll discuss the key rule about relevance jump into a bit of theory what drives uh, fluctuations between currencies and also uh, how we can put it all into practices as a, an, an investor so Let's kick it off, Ren, and I'll ask you the questions and okay. you can g give me the answers. <laughs> sure. So wh why, are we, why are we talking about exchange rates now more than, say, a year ago? So there's a few reasons, but the main one is that it seems the world has entered this uh, race to the bottom in terms of devaluing their currency. It seems that... We now look at international trade as a zero-sum game and if one country is winning, another country is losing and the way to win at international trade is to have 
the weakest currency, and we'll explain that in this episode, why that's the case. But really what we've seen is that the Trump and China are getting into an escalating trade war, and what we saw last week was Trump put $300 billion worth of tariffs on Chinese goods, and China then let their currency get weaker as a way to undermine the tariffs. And in response, the US Treasury Department has labelled China a currency manipulator. At the same time, the Australian dollar is at its lowest level since March 2009, 68 US cents for one Australian dollar. And in the last week or two weeks, we saw India, New Zealand, the US, amongst others, all cut their interest rates, which will have a flow-on effect to the strength of their currency. So it's very topical at the moment. In our last episode, we talked about investors fleeing to gold and uh, some to Bitcoin to, (laughs) to avoid these currencies. And in this episode, we'll unpack it a bit and understand why. So, Ren, before we jump into some of the key points that you just addressed there, what does it actually mean? And I don't know if you actually know the answer to this. This is a question I've got. But what does it actually mean to be labelled a currency manipulator? Does it actually have any ramifications for China? It's a good question. Uh, The short answer is no. The long answer is it's the first step in a process to raise a complaint at one of the international bodies. I don't think it's the World Trade Organization. I actually think it might be the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. Yeah, Monetary Fund, World Bank or something. Yeah, but either way, it's it's really the first step to raise a complaint there. The irony is that the Trump administration has been gutting these international institutions and a complaint there. I think what they've been doing is the way it works, for some reason, the US either has to nominate a judge and then the rest of the world gets a chance to basically assent to it or the rest of the world nominates and the US has the chance to assent to it and the US has just like not done anything the Trump administration just aren't doing anything so it's all a bit of a show I guess for the Trump administration so yeah in in practice it doesn't really do anything material at this stage it might be the first step in a longer process but the outcome of that process isn't really clear because the process is being undermined by the Trump administration. So that's a that's a long and short way of saying it's, there's probably not a lot that will happen out of it. The irony... It's more a formality. Yeah, but like a formality for what? Because I guess the, yeah, the irony is that China manipulates their currency constantly. They peg their currency to the US dollar. That is by definition manipulating it. Like they're... Most, for for context, like most countries in the world have a floating currency. The market sets the value of a currency based on supply and demand, but the Chinese government pegs their currency to the US dollar So and then lets it trade within like a 2% range or something in today. So essentially what it means is if the Chinese government say the the one is going to be worth six six one to one US dollar, then whatever the US dollar does, the one will follow in um, a similar ratio, I guess. And essentially what yeah. the government has what the Chinese government has done between May two thousand and eight and August twenty nineteen, 
uh, they kept one US dollar buying between six and seven yuan. It never got below the seven. Um, and then what has sparked this recent currency manipulator call is the Chinese let their yuan devalue below the seven. So, and then that seven is sort of the, I guess, the magic number for this. And the Trump administration responded. Mm. To, to give people an idea of why the Chinese government would do this, if you think about international trade, if we're buying goods from China, the cheaper, the, the stronger our dollar is, the more dollars, um, the, the more yuan we can buy with every one Aussie dollar, the cheaper products from China are. Now, if the government adds tariffs, that makes products from China more expensive the way the Chinese government can offset the effects of these tariffs is to devalue their currency even further. So it makes our dollar be able to buy even more Chinese yuan. And so it means that essentially for us, the Chinese products get cheaper, you add the tariffs on top, and net the effects of the tariff aren't as pronounced. So really what China has done is responded, it's, it's the next step in this escalating trade war, if Trump keeps putting tariffs on Chinese goods, the Chinese government can devalue their currency to offset some of the effect of Trump's tariffs. Right. So what are, I guess what are some of the, the key rules around currency and exchange rates around something? What, what are, what's some of the theory that, that drives these, um, the, the, the changes between, I guess, the Aussie dollar and the US dollar or the yuan in the US? What um, what should we be looking out for? So I think the, the key rule and the key thing to keep in mind is that everything in the world of foreign exchange and currencies is relative. You're never looking at the strength of the... You're never looking at the Australian dollar independent of other currencies. You're always looking at it relative to another currency or a basket of currencies. So the most common mm. thing you see is the Australian dollar against the US dollar. And so there's two sides to that. It it can move on the strength and the weakness of the Australian dollar, but it can also move on the strength and the weakness of the US dollar. And and that that's the key thing in all of what we're going to really talk about here is that um, that everything is relative. All the, the factors are relative. Um, the effects are relative. But most importantly how we actually measure the value of a currency is relative. It's against the price of another asset or the price of another currency. So that's just an important ground rule to keep in mind, I guess. There's no like absolute mm. metric upon which you can judge an, a currency. The closest you probably get is against a basket of currencies. So you say how the Australian dollar moved against a basket of the US dollar, yen, euro, yuan, stuff like that. Or maybe you measure it against a harder asset. So you say, how are all these current, how's the Australian dollar moving against gold? But then there are also factors that affect the price of gold. So that's a long winded way of saying everything's relative when you're talking about currencies. And so to keep it basic without going into the weeds too much, whilst it might be relative one currency to another, there are certain currencies in the world that are consistently. S- you know, the strongest or deemed as the strongest. And then there are also some currencies that are 
consistently deemed as pretty weak. Am I am I right in saying so, Ren? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so the US dollar was always, well, still is, but maybe not to the same extent, but is always seen as like the global reserve currency. Yeah. A lot of international transactions are done in US dollars because there's a security in the US. You know that its currency is relatively strong and it's not going to default on its debt or anything like that. Um, the euro mm. and the, the pound are quite strong as well. Whereas mm. if you go to countries where there's a little bit more concern around the stabili- stability of a government, there's more concerns around inflation, you generally see weaker currencies. So what's some of the theory around driving these um, relationship changes, I guess? I reckon we'll we'll rip through this section because, I mean, the theory, I guess, is important, but it's not as important as what you do about it. So yes. we'll just we'll, we'll bust through this in a few minutes. Let me know if I'm waffling too long. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Currencies are set, or most currencies, outside the ones that are pegged, but in on the whole, the currencies are set by supply and demand, how much the government or a central bank is printing or creating, and then what demand from investors and businesses is for that currency. And so when you think about what's driving the price of a currency, uh, you have to think what what's driving really the demand side for a currency. So, for example, interest rates are generally the big driver of movements in currencies. And when you think about why that is the case, it's because if a country improves their interest rate, it means that relative to other places to park their money, um, that country has just got a little bit better. So investors then move money to that country to take advantage of the higher interest rate. And to move money to that country, they have to buy that country's currency to then invest in that country. And that creates demand for the currency. So if you play that out in, a, in an example, if the US and Australia both have 1% interest rates and Australia move to 1.5% interest rates, then all of a sudden putting your money in Australia becomes more attractive on a relative basis compared to America. Investors pull their money out of the US, so they sell US dollars and they put their money into Australia, so they buy Australian dollars. That creates demand for the Aussie dollar and it will see a currency appreciation. And so that, that's interest rates are number one. Uh, number two is inflation. Now, inflation is a killer for currencies and essentially, you know, if, if governments are increasing the supply of money and the money is becoming more and more worthless because they're just printing more that is terrible for investors it's terrible for businesses and they and they're going to try and sell that currency and get out of it and move into a currency that's safer because if you just if you hold money in a in a currency that's that's losing its value you're you're losing value just by holding it so Inflation is a real driver of of currency devaluation. So again, the example would be if the US is seeing heaps of inflation and Australia isn't, investors will sell US dollars and buy Aussie dollars to move into a safer currency. And then the, the third big factor is international trade. And then also under that, there's 
some there's something around commodity prices as well. But to keep it general, international trade. If you're, you know, if we're buying from China, if we're buying from Chinese exports from Chinese companies, we need to, or other businesses that are buying from China, need to convert their money into yuan to then buy in China to buy from those Chinese businesses. So that means you know an Australian business buying from China has to sell Australian dollars and has to buy Chinese yuan and then buy from that Chinese business. And so if you think about that on a global scale, countries that are major exporters then have more businesses and investors and people buying their currency to then to then buy their currency. And if you think about that on a very mm. basic level, you know you and I was, as we invest in the U.S. market. We sell our Australian dollars and then we buy US dollars and then we use those US dollars to buy American shares. So there's obviously a lot of other factors. There's geopolitics, there's a whole bunch of stuff. But if you just think about those three things, that's probably a good start in terms of what drives currency movements. Yeah, it's a funny one that with uh, the relationships in economics, you know, from an exporter point of view, you want your home currency to be reasonably attractive to uh, importers of your products so that they feel that they can buy more at a, at a reasonable price. But by, by doing so, you know, you're going to put demand and pressure on the currency and, and in some way drive it up. So there's that fine balance that, uh, as we spoke about last week, reserve banks try to sometimes uh, keep under control by using interest rates, as you just said, Ren, as a way of, you know, moving their dollar that is beneficial, particularly in Australia where we're a commodity export business and having a lower dollar really was of value to, you know, the likes of BHP and Rio and those sorts of businesses. So, yeah, funny relationships in economics. So, Ren, more importantly, what does this all mean for us? So, I think before we get into that, just... In terms of a really general sense, if we give people an idea, you know, the question that, that probably gets asked is, so is it good to have a weak currency or is it good to have a strong currency? And there's not a good answer for that. There's, there's pluses and minuses for both sides, as you were touching on. But I think in a really simple way to think about it, when your currency is cheap, that's great for exporters and it's terrible for domestic consumers because exporters can sell more easily, they're more competitive internationally, but domestic consumers are essentially forced to pay higher prices on imports and then vice versa. When your currency is strong, it's good for domestic consumers because they can buy international products more cheaply, but it's it's tougher for exporters because they're less competitive. So on a really simple, yeah, that's the sort of flip side of it that you should keep in mind. And the reason why every country is trying to devalue their currency at the moment, I mean, not every country is, but, you know, we're in the midst of a trade war and we seem to have this zero-sum view of trade at the moment where if one country benefits, another country is losing out. And in that situation, you want to maximise the exports that you're doing and everyone wants a, a cheap currency to do that. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I guess from my point of view, one of the ways that we would be exposed to it most as an investor is when it comes to investing in internationally. And I think as it becomes easier to invest overseas, you know, there needs to be some consideration given to the impact of exchange rates on the returns for your investment, as you know, as we know, a risk that can come with investing internationally is those fluctuations that you spoke about. Then, so as you also said, you know, a rise can be good in one sense and, and bad in the other. Just like a fall in, in the value of a dollar can be good or bad for your investments as well. So, Brent, I just want to touch on a piece of terminology that um, many of us would have come across, and that's hedging, or particularly hedged versus unhedged. And a lot of uh, people would have probably seen it in relation to ETFs. A lot of ETFs these days, uh, particularly international, well, all, a lot of international ETFs, sorry, I should say, you, you can choose sometimes between a hedged option and an unhedged option. So I thought I'd just uh, briefly discuss the difference between both of those. So a hedged investment is one where fund manager uses strategies which will, in theory, offset the impact caused by currency fluctuation. Uh, and I guess it's the job of the manager to make sure that the value of the investment at the time is affected solely by the change of value in the asset rather than any changes in, in value based on currency fluctuations. So hedging your investment is a good option if you're looking to generate sort of smaller but steady returns. I think that's the key there. And without exposure to additional risk that comes from currency fluctuations. However, the downside I think with with hedging is that in a situation where currency may fluctuate and that may be an increase in the value of the dollar against the one that you're investing in, then you could be losing out on increasing the value of your investment. So that's where you would look at something called unhedged and that's where the investment is one that is fully exposed to the risk of currency fluctuations. So there's no sort of management around trying to achieve any stability and you're fully exposed to the changes in, in fluctuation. 
and that obviously does have pros and cons, you do run the risk of your investment decreasing in value if the relationship between the currencies turns against your favour. So, uh, I guess a classic example of that now, Ren, is you and I both investing in the States. So, I mean, I've got exposure to Apple and a number of other tech companies as well as some ETFs. Now, they're all in US dollars. I've also got some cash sitting in stake in US dollars. And recently, we've seen the Australian dollar fall in value against the US dollar. Now, I'm unhedged, meaning that I'm fully exposed to this currency fluctuation, but it's in our favor because our our investments are sitting in US dollars. When I come back to sell them into Australian dollars, I'm actually going to get more Australian dollars when I sell than if than if I had uh, had a hedged option and wasn't um, exposed to this currency fluctuation. To give an example of what I mean, if you're unhedged and you have a hundred dollars of assets in both Aussie and US dollars, and the company doesn't change share price, the value of your investment will actually go up just by nature of the Australian dollar falling away. So the share price itself doesn't actually have to go up for the value of your dollar um, is, is a way to think about it. But conversely, if the US dollar tanks, then your investment will lose value as well. So two things to consider there. Anything to add to that? Let, let me ask you a question on it. If you had an ASX 200, well, no, it can't be ASX 200 because that's in Aussie dollars. If you had a S&P 500 ETF and you had the option of hedging it or it being unhedged, what would be the factors that you think about? I know you sort of explained that. Would you would you hedge or go unhedged at the moment? I would be going unhedged at the moment because I think, as we've discussed in looking at macro trends, knowing that Australia are likely to drop interest rates even further or we have a very low interest rate environment, if we think about the theory of it, the Australian dollar is not a very attractive place for cash investment at the moment, whereas the US have higher interest rates than us. So a lot of investors are likely to favour the US over Australia as a place to put cash. So the demand for the US dollar is, is likely to be greater than the Australian dollar. And so we can probably assume from that, we can probably see a further decline in the relationship or the value of the Aussie dollar to the US dollar. So I would be taking an unhedged option at the moment keeping in mind that if things do turn around and we start increasing interest rates, then we might see a change in the direction of our dollar. But I guess basically that would probably be my first step in in terms of thinking hedged versus unhedged if we're talking Aussie versus US. Yeah, I like it. Now for the, I don't know, 200 other currencies out there, (laughs) I guess the key thing is (laughs) if you don't have a thesis, so like Bryce has a pretty clear thesis there, on like what the US dollar is going to do versus the Aussie dollar and what's going to drive that as in Australian interest rates. I guess if you if you didn't have a thesis, so let, like let's ask you, what about a Japanese ETF? Like what would your thinking be there? Again, there'd be consideration around the interest rate movements and where we sit relative to Japan, but also without going into too much detail, there's some historical stuff that you could look at. But yeah, I guess Japan without, may not be a good example. Yeah, we, I guess <laughs> my, the point maybe that we're trying to get at is if you don't want to have to make a punt on which way you think the dollar is going to go relative to your investment, then a hedged option is a good approach because it takes away that currency risk and the um, fluctuations and you're solely reliant on the performance of the asset itself. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's the main thing. If you don't, if you don't have a thesis on the what the currency will do, hedged is a safer option. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it, it all depends on how much you're investing with and that sort of stuff as well. But these days, you can more often than not get a hedged or unhedged option, especially with ETFs. Just cl- clarify that. Why why would it matter how much I'm investing with? Just in terms of dollar value returns, like the, the impact from a percentage point of view is, is the same. But I mean, if I'm putting a hundred bucks in, the the change of 0.01 cents to the to the dollar is not going to make a huge dollar impact if than if I had a million dollars invested, if that makes sense. Yeah, right. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, because currencies move in such small increments, it's not like we're going from a dollar to fifty cents and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So as well as considering hedged to be unhedged, I think another way to protect against some of the currency risks is to look at domestic companies that have global operations. Because if they're, you know, if a company is in a whole bunch of different markets, it means they're earning revenue in a whole bunch of different currencies. And all things being equal, it should, some of that currency fluctuation should net out. You know, if in one year the US dollar is strong and the euro is a bit weaker and then the next year it flips, it should sort of net out and smooth some of those currency fluctuations. Alternatively, if you're in, if you're investing in an Australian company that has ninety percent of its operations in Thailand, then you need to be conscious that even though you're investing in an Australian company and you're putting Australian dollars into it, because the company has so much of its revenue coming from Thailand, you are exposed to the Thai baht, and if the Thai currency tanks, then that company will convert its earnings back into Australian dollars and that means it will hurt its earnings. So, mm. you know, if it used to be one Thai baht was worth one Australian dollar, at the end of the year they would convert their revenue for the year into dollars at a one-to-one. If it the Thai baht halves in value and so all of a sudden it's two Thai baht to one Australian dollar, then essentially the company's revenue has halved as well because... They're converting it back into Australian dollars at a weaker rate. So when you think about companies that have overseas operations, do think about the currency. Don't don't let it scare you off investing in good businesses. If you don't have the strong thesis on the currency, a good business is a good business. Um, but it is a cons- it should it should factor in somewhat. So you know if you think about Australian companies, ResMed. CSL, companies like that have big overseas operations, which can be really good if the Australian dollar is weak. Like right now, CSL and ResMed are earning US dollars and converting them back into Australian dollars at a good rate. But at some point in the future, that could flip as well. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a good point, something to certainly consider. I think you can get that information from a lot of their annual reports and stuff. It's a percentage breakdown of exposure to overseas revenue and that sort of stuff. Yeah, 100%. So, Reg, I think that's a pretty good summary of exchange rates and the impact that it can have on investors. And another piece of the whole 
puzzle when it comes to understanding the economy and and how it all sort of fits together. I think now that we've discussed central banks and the role they play with interest rates and now tying that to exchange rates and, and the impact that that can have on your investment returns and thinking about investing strategies, it's starting to really paint a bit of a picture now of this total economic piece. Before we wrap it, I just have one closing thought, just in case people have sort of felt scared off from investing overseas based on the risk of currency fluctuations. If you don't want to be exposed, overly exposed to one currency, there's two ways you can go about it. The first way is you can only invest in your domestic share market. So Australians only investing in Australia. That, that would be a mistake because there's a whole world out there. Australia is, what, 2.4% of the global market. You want to be exposed to that other 97.6% of the world and the world's companies. If you don't want to be too overly exposed to one currency, the right way to go about it is to have some international diversification, to invest in a number of different markets. And so you're exposed to lots of different currencies, so you're not overly exposed to just one. Mm, mm, nice. Okay. Well, anything else you want to add, Ren? No, I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Well, as always, good to chat stocks. And uh, in this instance, to chat more things broader than stocks, I think it's really important that we continue along this vein of piecing the, the economy together because it's very important to understand all this stuff, particularly when it comes yeah. to making some investment decisions. So, We're yeah. going to be hearing a lot more about it. <laughs> if anyone has any questions on today's episode or would like us to unpack a few other big pieces of the economic puzzle, then hit us up on uh, our email or anywhere on social media. We also have a forum, Ask Us Anything Online, but always good to chat stocks. And we will touch base again next week. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Equity mates! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is equity. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.